Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Talking the Cure, Hogan Global's life sciences and healthcare podcast, the home office edition. Which means that we had to go a bit more low-tech regarding our recording equipment, but I think we did a pretty good job to hold our quality in the situation we are all in right now. Today, Phil Katz and Jim Johnson dialed in to continue the discussion around the implications of FDA's restrictions on its activities and how drug companies and others should think about the next steps. As always, I'm trying to keep the intro short as we're going to hear each other after this for some housekeeping. Without further ado, let's sit down and talk the cure. Hello everyone, this is Phil Katz. I'm hosting what is now the second installment in our occasional podcast entitled, What in the World is Happening? Today I'm talking with my partner and good friend, Jim Johnson, to follow up on our earlier podcast about some of the things that are going on around the world with regard to the pharmaceutical industry, particularly with FDA and with companies and and what they need to be doing or should be doing in terms of dealing with the vagaries of what's happening because of the COVID-19 outbreak. And we wanted to just sort of continue the conversation that we had started the other day, looking in a little more depth at some of the issues and also taking into account events since then. It was only a few days ago, but so much has happened since then. So, So let me start by asking you, Jim, when we were talking before, FDA had just announced a halt to overseas inspections. And I think at the time you presciently predicted that we would see the same thing domestically. And of course, that has now happened. So FDA is not doing inspections in the United States or overseas. Can you give us a bit of a more specific sense of what it is that FDA will and won't be doing? I mean, I know they're not going to physically inspect facilities, but that doesn't mean they won't be conducting inspections, for example. So what's your sense, as somebody who worked at FDA as one of the lawyers supporting this function, what's your sense of what FDA will and won't be doing now that they're not going to do physical inspections? Yeah, thanks, Phil. Um, well, certainly, you know, FDA is, is going to be you know, taking a very skewed risk-based approach here. And that, you know, it it is possible they will be going out and still doing some inspections, but those are really for what the government views as mission critical inspections, things dealing with something that is really going to be specific towards the COVID-19 response, most likely. I think we're seeing that certainly on certain food, certain medical devices and certain pharma aspects, but for the most part, you're right. I mean, what we're going to see is a pullback for the most part on domestic inspections, the same way that we've seen international. And what we are seeing a shift to is where FDA wants to keep things moving is doing what they can from a desk review perspective, document requests, looking at the inspectional history of the firms. Certainly FDA will prefer voluntary compliance. And you know there has been statements from the administration about the trust and voluntary compliance, especially with domestic firms. And then you know, they're also looking at third parties that have been in there, including other regulatory bodies. And then ultimately the products made. I think for products, in this case, pharmaceutical products and biopharmaceutical products that are critical to patients, they're going to be looking at not getting in the way, I think, to a certain extent. If they've got enough information that they feel comfortable enough that the benefits of that product being approved or continuing to be manufactured outweigh the risks associated with not being in that site, I think you'll continue to see that move forward. So if FDA is going to be doing sort of a risk analysis, are are you suggesting that if you've got a COVID-19 product, a diagnostic therapeutic treatment, A, 
FDA will consider that a priority. B, they actually might come and inspect if they think it's necessary. But also C, they might be more inclined to be okay with relying upon the last time a European investigator was there or the last time a third party was there and whatever information the company can provide in terms of documents. Are are you suggesting that they will actually be more willing to take on a little bit of risk for those kinds of important products? Yeah, I think so, Phil. I mean, I do think that the agency is going to have to use what data is at hand. They're not going to be able to just stop. And so that includes all the things that you just listed. You know, And I think it's not just COVID-19 related product. Because of the shutdown around the world of the economies, the movement of people, and ultimately industry, and that includes some pharma manufacturing. I mean, when you don't have employees that are able to come in to a site to work because they're sick or because they've got stay-at-home orders... That's going to affect some, if not most, of the folks coming into those sites. And certainly there's exemptions for for critical operations, both here in the U.S. and around the world. But what FDA is also concerned about is just drug supply shortages beyond COVID-19. So antibiotics, sterile injectables, single source products that are important, oncology products, for example. So it's not just COVID-19. Okay, well, that's good. That's part of what I I was going to ask you is, is so if FDA is going to be prepared to maybe take do the risk benefit calculus a little differently than it would in normal times, but that's going to help what you were calling earlier mission critical products. And you've now explained that it's not just COVID-19, but though there are certain types of products that FDA is going to be more interested in getting to market and therefore more interested, more willing perhaps to be flexible as to what they need to see to give everything the thumbs up. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so, so following that, just if, if you could, what do you think that means companies should be doing to position themselves to be in the category that's going to get more leeway or to prepare their information in a way that's going to be making it as easy as possible for FDA to say, okay, this is good enough under the circumstances. What are the things that companies should be doing in light of that situation? I think first and foremost, it it is about the products. So companies need to be thinking about why is their important product just as important to FDA, to the public health. And again, it's not just COVID-19 products or or related products to the pandemic, but also, you know, uh, other products that are are coming onto the market that are new will add source to the drug supply for a certain type of product. There's a lot of novel products, you know, certainly still going through the review process and, and being approved. And then there's, you know, the old standbys where whether it's saline bags or ibuprofen product that needs to continue to come in through import, through manufacturing supply chain. And so I think it starts with how important is the product because FDA only has so much bandwidth right now. And and we also have to recognize the people that work at FDA are going through the same things that we are. They're having to work from home now exclusively. They're dealing with their families and their needs and the, the current reality that we live in. And so there's going to only be finite time to do these desk reviews. And it's not going to be every site. I mean, there are going to be delays here. It's just not possible for FDA to do all of this as fast as industry probably would like. And so in my view, it really starts with the product. You know, you have to have a hook. You have to be explaining to the agency why your facility should be reviewed, why this product should be approved based on a desk review or a compliance downgrade 
you know, done so you can import it or so that you can have a warning letter lifted. You know, th those are all things that I think first and foremost is going to be product driven. And then secondly, you know, and we can talk about this in a second is, you know, making it as efficient as possible for FDA to review this document. Okay. Well, let's not talk about it in a second. Let's talk about it right now. So, so number one is you're going to want to be positioning your product in terms of why it's important for it to continue to market, why you need to keep moving forward, uh, recognizing that these are extraordinary times, recognizing that FDA's resources are strained, recognizing that FDA isn't going to have the same kind of access to information that they would normally have, uh, and that they're going to have to be doing triage as to what goes forward. Uh, the first piece I hear you saying is you got to give them a reason why this product is one that needs to move forward, whether it's because of what it treats, whether it's because it's the only product out there, whatever, Those, whether it's a shortage. So there's that. And, and then the second thing you just mentioned, which I was going to ask about is, all right, so assuming that you've gotten yourself into that position, what else can you do to help make this as easy as possible to move forward? Yeah, and I think this is a critical piece because it's not exactly clear how FDA is going to implement all of this, right? Um, you know, FDA always has had the ability to request documents in lieu of an inspection, but here, you know, that's really going to be a focus of how they're doing it. And so the question then is, you know, will this be done like a traditional inspection for X number of days or will it be more open-ended? You know, will there be rolling document requests from FDA? kind of like a, a normal inspection cadence, or will there be a single document request and a, a large document dump on FDA? And having a plan for how you're going to coordinate that is going to be important because FDA is thinking through these questions as well and how best to do it. And so the best way to operate always, in my view, is, is to have a plan and, and make a recommendation. And, and certainly you want to have all the key documents that show that your site's in a state of control. You know, and, and you can do that certainly through paper, through records, through your key quality documents, focusing, of course, on any hiccups you've had in the past, being able to show FDA how you focused on those areas, but at the same time have taken a global and comprehensive approach, leveraging any third parties that you've had in. Are they able to certify or put their name to paper and vouch for your compliance? And then thinking through, again, what other inspections have you had more recently? If FDA hasn't been out there for a couple of years, have you had Health Canada out there? Have you had MHRA out there? And can you stand behind that? And then it's how focused and easy can you make it for FDA to go through this efficiently? Because it is going to be difficult for the agency. This isn't going to be a situation where they're sitting in a conference room at the site and able to just as things come up, ask for documents to follow a trail on the documents. It's going to be very disjointed. And so having a package ready of the key documents and understanding what documents FDA is going to be keying on and are going to be most valuable is something that companies should be thinking about right now. That's an interesting aspect of this. I mean, we know that companies in preparing for FDA inspections sort of go through things in advance and identify what they think of as potential weaknesses or shortcomings or weak points. And they try to address them in advance of FDA coming. And they try to think about the logic of what FDA is going to be looking for and asking for. But it's still, to some degree, a reactive process when FDA is inspecting you, right? And you, you try, again, to plan for it and to maybe in some way set the table, but it's a necessarily reactive process. It sounds to me like part of what you're saying is 
in this context, maybe it makes sense to try to shape it a bit more, to, to critically say to yourself, all right, if I were FDA, what is it I'd really be looking for? Not just, okay, how do I put together my story in the way that is truthful and not misleading, but also most advantageous to me, but to be thinking a little more critically about what would I be asking for I were a skeptical FDA and pulling that stuff together ahead of time so that when you're having a conversation with FDA, you can say, in essence, okay, I get this isn't the normal set of circumstances and you need to do your job. I want to try and help you do that under these very different circumstances as well and as efficiently as possible. And it seems to me that these are among the issues that would be of interest to you and that we need to address. And here's what I've pulled together. I'd give you information that will answer those questions and should satisfy you. Then in a bit, there's a bit more of upfront planning and maybe a bit more of putting the package together than normally would be the case in a, in a run-of-the-mill physical inspection. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Yeah, I think that's right, Phil. And to be honest, I, I, I think international facilities, you know, may, may be a little more used to that. I think, you know, what we're seeing here with FDA pulling back on domestic inspections as well is they're not as used to information requests or pre-inspection document requests the, the same way that FDA does that internationally. Also, you know, domestic inspections are often open-ended. You don't know when they're going to happen and in particular when they're going to end. Um, yep. It could be five days. Yep. It could be two weeks. It could be two months. International inspections are usually a little bit more finite. You usually know how long FDA is going to be on site. They only have so much time to look at things. And so I think that gives fo folks that handle a lot of international inspections, it won't be as big of a jump and also dealing with information requests from CEDAR or CBER compliance, following inspections, you know, that happens quite a bit these days. So I do think, you know, domestically and, and for U.S.-based firms and facilities, this may be a little bit challenging, if not just a bit novel for them. And I think the thing to be focusing on, too, is it's clear what you can give them, what documents, you know, FDA is going to ask for generally, SOPs, your list of your key quality records, I, you know, Know, complaints, deviations out of specification results, CAPAs, things like that. You know, they'll, they'll get into val process validation, method validation, annual quality product reviews, really meaningful documents that really show how the site is operating. What they're not going to be able to do and, and what you have to think through, I, and this is the tough part, is how, how do you show them the things and give them comfort for what an on-site inspection is really critical for things like, you know, if, if you're a sterile facility, you know, your aseptic practices, how your sterile core is designed and cleaned and set up. Data integrity, it's a huge focus for FDA today and, and has been for quite a few years, as we all know. FDA is not going to be able to get into your network. I mean, your QC laboratory and review countless number of audit trails or be able to get into your manufacturing equipment and your, your computer systems to see, you know, have you had a failure that wasn't recorded or what's going on with regard to your micro lab um, and, and your limb system. And so thinking through about how to, to position that to provide it and certainly, you know, leveraging third parties, any internal work that you've done, facilitating any file transfer that you need to, but it's not going to be the same. And that's going to limit FDA with regard to how they're conducting these types of inspections. And so my general thought is in a situation like that, where FDA is A, not doing what it's used to doing, and B, to some unavoidable degree, 
doing not just differently, but doing less than what they would normally do. My general sense is that leads uh, an organization like FDA to become that much more conservative. You talked earlier about there are sort of countervailing pressures to say, well, I, okay, maybe they want to be more conservative, but there are a bunch of products that really need to get out there now more than ever, and not just COVID-19 products. A am I right, though, in thinking that there's going to be a category of products that are not going to be as essential, that are not going to present such an urgent case or have as much of a public health component to them? And those are actually going to suffer because their FDA will be less inclined to be flexible? Yeah, I agree, Phil. And I do think, you know, and I've heard from a number of clients about uh, that, that type of concern. For example, if you're an international site who is currently OAI status, official action indicated, and you have been that way for a year or two based on an inspection in 2018, 2019, and you've been working to deal with remediation and communicating with the agency about all the enhancements that you're making and FDA was planning on coming out to do a reinspection. FDA will say, all right, I like what you've told me. I understand what you've done. You've brought in a good third party to help. Uh, we'll be out soon to check with our own eyes that this is all up to snuff from our perspective. That's not necessarily going to happen anytime soon now, right, with, with the reality of things. And so I think where there is great concern in industry is those types of sites where maybe you don't have the next potential COVID-19 therapy that, that maybe isn't curing anything but, but helping or something that's really critical to the supply that you have approval. And it's not so much that your products are currently blocked, but it does hamper you to get new products approved out of that site. From a commercial standpoint, there's some real concern about certainly the ability to grow and bring new products online. If you're not able to clear a compliance hold and that results in you not getting new approvals, that, that's going to be a big issue for you and, and your projections moving forward and how you're able to generate new revenue to do the improvements that you want to do to expand into other potentially helpful products in, in light of the pandemic, for example. And, and so that, that's where I'm hearing more concern from clients than anything. Hmm. What are you hearing, if anything, with regard to the implications you mentioned earlier of folks, the, you know, employees uh, themselves being in um, shelter in place or companies needing to close facilities because they don't want to bring a bunch of people together into a closed facility? What are you seeing in terms of if they're shutting down what are the GMP implications of that? And if they're then bringing factories back up online or if they're operating them with a, a smaller team than they normally would, what are the GMP implications of that? And, and how should companies think about handling that with FDA? I certainly think there's implications with regard to still manufacturing to scale. I, I think there are certainly companies focusing on what are our most critical products? What do we have to put our resources into right now? Because we're not going to be able to, to be manufacturing at full scale. So there are sites that are you know, almost a shadow force of, of what they normally would have to continue operations and make critical products. And so you know, companies need to think about both from a public health perspective, but also from a bottom line perspective. What are the products we need to keep making for the market and for patients? A big issue, sir, certainly is with this type of illness, folks are not able to come into a pharmaceutical manufacturing facility when you're sick. And so I think, I'm not sure we've gotten to this point yet in the U.S., 
but certainly if a large portion or a substantial portion of, of your workforce comes down with COVID-19 and not only, even if they're mild cases, you're not supposed to be coming into a drug manufacturing facility if you've got a cold, let alone COVID. Um, and so I, I think there's going to be implications there that we haven't fully seen yet. I know companies are thinking about that and how to handle it. I mean, a big thing to be communicating is always to be transparent with the agency as much as possible. I know the FDA drug shortage staff, the Office of Manufacturing Quality, I mean, they're, they're working around the clock and really hard to have these discussions with industry. So if a company knows that they're going to have problems with their supply chain and problem manufacturing or releasing product, and especially if it's a critical product or a single source product or a shortage product, be reaching out to FDA. I mean, FDA wants to help companies work through these issues. And, and if it is having to deviate from some GMP principle, that's something you can think through. You can plan through that, have a planned deviation and, and work through it. But certainly it's something you ideally want to work through with FDA before you implement something. You may not always have the luxury to do that, but I think a time like this, more than ever, transparency is key. And if it's a critical issue and an important issue, you know, you will get somebody at FDA to listen and work with you. So, so look, that last point that you just made is something that you and I talk about a lot with clients, sort of in the abstract, right? There's the notion that there's a tension between wanting to be transparent with FDA and wanting to be collaborative with FDA and perhaps wanting to get FDA's input before you make a decision that involves a significant commitment of resources or effort or time. Um, that there's a tension between wanting to ask FDA and hear what they have to say and not asking because if you ask and get an answer, you might be stuck with an answer you really don't like. We always deal with that tension. It sounds to me like you're suggesting that in this context, you might shade that choice a little bit more towards discussion with FDA than you otherwise would. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and certainly every company's got to kind of balance how important the issue is and is it worth doing something that maybe you wouldn't do in normal course and, and then making sure that you've relayed it to FDA in the right way. And I think laying out a plan to FDA, this is the situation that we're faced with. These are the things that we're going to do to address this situation. We're letting you know we're, we're moving forward. You know, that, that can be a way to bring it up to FDA because I certainly think on things where you're dealing with GMP and compliance issues, you'd rather get an answer from FDA that you don't like at that time rather than a year or two from now when FDA comes back out and actually does an inspection in your site and says, what the heck did you guys do there? This is unacceptable. And I, I don't assume anybody in the industry is doing something that FDA would take that type of view of. But I, I think in the current climate, being as transparent as possible when you're having to make tough decisions and, and maybe have some creative solutions to low employee workforce, focusing on certain products and, and understanding the reality of the situation and, and the complexities that come with making drug and releasing it into to commerce, you know, the, this is the time that you should be engaging FDA and with a plan, not just, is this okay? Or, you know, what should we do FDA? But but having a plan when you talk to the agency. Okay. But listen, at some point, we don't know when, of course, at some point this will end and things will eventually return to the old normal. What do you think will be happening at that point? What do you think the impact will be for companies that got products to market, that couldn't get products to market because they were too far down the queue and not that important, to places that FDA didn't inspect, but they dealt with on um, 
by dealing with documents. I mean, what do you think will be the impact? There's going to be a backlog. People are going to be getting back up to speed. Tell me what you think in a few words are the likely impacts for companies once we get back to, as I say, the old normal. I certainly think there'll be a flurry of activity on in the inspectional space. Once the door is open again, FDA will want to get back out there and certainly key in on the sites that they view as, as high risk, whether that's because of you know so-so compliance history or because it's a new product that was approved and it's a higher risk product, such as a sterile injectable or a biologic. And so I think you will see both internationally and domestic. I'm fully expecting a, a pretty large wave of inspectional activity to get back to, they're, they're never going to catch up. Certainly, things will continue on once FDA gets back out there. But I do expect you know, FDA to be really focused and out there conducting inspections, again, at the higher risk sites that they view. You know, What I've been telling clients now is that's why it's really important. You have to understand that what you're doing right now will be inspected. FDA is not doing inspections as of today at your site, whether you're in India or China or you know Kansas or Utah. FDA is not coming out. But what they will be doing is looking at the documentation looking what you were doing on March 24th, 2020. And so it's really important to not lose sight of that, to make sure that you are carrying on you know, with GMP principles, following your documentation practices, and honestly, documenting really well because things are happening so fast. There might be a scale-back workforce. And so being able to record things, knowing that FDA may not be out to your site for two years, three years, potentially, just because of the backlog, and you may not be prioritized for an inspection when things clear up. Good documentation is the key to remembering what happened. And good documentation is the key to a good FDA inspection, because not only does it allow the FDA investigator to read it, but it helps educate all the employees of the staff and folks that maybe weren't there at the time that those documents were created. And so I think it's going to be really important for companies to, to keep that in mind. What you're doing today will be inspected by FDA, even if they're not coming out and knocking on your door tomorrow. So to close up, we've been talking about some of the implications of FDA's restrictions on its activities and how drug companies and others should be thinking about their next steps, the, the opportunities that are presented, but also obviously the pitfalls and the challenges. So thank you, Jim, for making time. And thank you, listeners, for, uh, for tuning in. Absolutely. Thank you. That's it for today. If you have further questions for Phil and or Jim, reach out via HoganLovels.com. We now have a COVID-19 knowledge center where you are able to find all topic-related content we published over the last couple of weeks. In addition, so you're not missing out on any information regarding industry developments as well as our activities in the sector, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, leave a like, leave a comment. As always, you can find all links in the description of this episode. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to return with more in about two weeks, so please join us again when we're talking The Cure.